Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish, two capital raising experts on a mission to demystify and equify the world of investment for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Listen in as they sit down with fundraising veterans and share with you the success stories and cautionary tales of outside the box capital raising. This is Capital Insight. Hello, and welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast. I'm here with Michelle Timish, and today we have a wonderful guest, Devin Thorpe, who I have known for quite a while. Michelle has too. And Devin is just such an amazing supporter of social enterprise and social ventures. He's been involved in so many different aspects of that world, especially on the funding side. So Devin, we want to hear your story. How did you get into doing the work you do? And tell us a little bit about, you know, what you are focusing on these days. Yeah, well, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be here. Jenny and Michelle, you're two of my very favorite people in the world, and it's a real honor to be on your show. So thank you so much. I mean, you two are really some of the uh, omniscient geniuses of this space. And uh, any opportunity I have to associate with you is valuable time. And uh, your audience is so fortunate to have you as guides. But uh, I first got started in crowdfunding, Jenny, um, uh, probably about the time you did, which is to say long before the Jobs Act. Now, I never figured it out. Uh, but I set up an investment banking firm, uh, FINRA registered broker dealer back in the early 2000s. And my very first client, before I was even approved, so acting in the capacity of a consultant, uh, my first client was uh, a crowdfunding site. We didn't call it that. We didn't know to call it that. That name didn't, uh, it, I guess that word, I don't think that word was in use at, at this point. This was late 99. Yeah, it definitely was not. That yeah. was not, that term was not used back then. So, uh, you know, that was the very earliest days of some of the, you know, accredited investor, institutional investor platforms coming into existence. And I had a client who said, hey, we got to do that for small investors. And so we started working on it. Uh, it didn't work. The regulatory structure wasn't there. The technology was so much more challenging in 1999 than it is today. But um, that was my first exposure. Um, I later, uh, I was reflecting on this just the other day. I, I, I later, uh, at a point in my career when I was an accredited investor, uh, I, I remember those days fondly. Uh, I uh, joined a little uh, kind of a crowdfunding site where they were putting together um, accredited investors who didn't typically invest in angel deals because they were barely accredited investors. So it was for the crowd of people that had a good income or a, a, a you know modestly substantial net worth, people who could play, but that weren't really in a situation to put 15 or 25,000 or $50,000 a deal into multiple deals a year. Uh, and there are a lot of people in that group. Uh, so that was kind of my second exposure to crowdfunding. And I think I made one or two investments through that platform. They both went belly up. The platform went belly up. It was a disaster, uh, but a learning experience along the way. Um, 
but when uh, I ultimately launched uh, a new career, uh, kind of retiring from my uh, a traditional finance career, I started writing about solving social problems uh, and have just become passionate about that. So social problems, I focus on three areas, climate change, poverty, call that social justice if you prefer, and uh, global health. Obviously, my efforts at global health uh, have utterly failed uh, as we have experienced the world's worst uh, uh, pandemic in 100 years. Um, but uh, my passion for these is real. But it, it took me about a nanosecond when I launched this second career to figure out that crowdfunding was inherently part of the solution, right? Because crowdfunding equalizes and democratizes so many aspects, right? It, it makes it easier for women and minorities, you know, BIPOC entrepreneurs to participate in entrepreneurship because they don't get anywhere near their fair share of traditional capital sources, venture capital, SBA loans, bank loans, even credit cards uh, are not uh, equally distributed uh, by race or gender. So it's really great to see crowdfunding coming along. And I, I recognized immediately that it had that potential. And, and it's true. And of course, both uh, the you know traditional Kickstarter, Indiegogo kind of crowdfunding, and, and then uh, it, it's proving now that as uh, investment crowdfunding matures under Regulation CF, that that, that also has that feature. Uh, it's not perfect. It's not perfectly fair, but it's more fair, right, than traditional sources. Uh, and it's also a great way to uh, fund social ventures, social enterprises, because many social enterprises, not all, but many, don't have the risk return structure of a venture venture back deal, or even of an SBA loan kind of deal, uh, because sometimes uh, the risk and return are just not fitting those models. But they can fit crowdfunding where people would put up money, even at risk, where traditional investors might demand high return potential and say, because you are chasing a social mission, I'm going to give you this risky money uh, without taking the uh, market kind of returns. So I, I just love crowdfunding for its ability to help solve these problems. Uh, and uh and of course, I, I encountered you, Jenny, uh, and, and Michelle just a little later um, as co-religionists, if you will, in this space, just passionate about these. And so it, it has been fun to follow your careers, your efforts. And of course, Crowdfund Main Street is just uh, such a, a role model for how to do crowdfunding with the right uh, attitude toward uh, these issues that I care so much about as you do. And Devin, what are your thoughts about how the industry has evolved? I mean, obviously being involved in it as long as, as you have, you know, really from before it was uh, even really existed, you were interested in this idea and this concept. What are your thoughts about the direction that the industry has gone and your thoughts about it for the future? Uh, I in general, I'm just thrilled. You know, it, it's the kind of thing, you know, there somebody mentioned once this idea and I, I that things always take longer than you expect. 
and so when you're, I go back to 2012, you know, now a decade ago, uh, how many times did those of us in this space think that we should be further along, right? I don't think we got the first implementation from the SEC until 2016. Uh, and it was just last year uh, or 18 months ago when we got the increase to 5 million. And, and so now we're just seeing a, a true maturation, uh, nearly an explosion, maybe not quite an explosion, but we've seen such a ramp up in this space in the last couple of years. So now we're seeing what we envisioned a decade ago. It took us time to get here, but it is so exciting. Uh, one of the things that I see uh, that excites me is that if you go on any site, any crowdfunding site uh, that I've been on, and I've been on many of them, I can't say that I've been on all, but I've been on many looking at deals. And quickly, if you start, if you start looking for uh, social enterprises with real impact, you can find them. If you look for uh, BIPOC owners, uh, entrepreneurs, you can find them. If you're looking for women entrepreneurs, you can find them. Um, it, it's really exciting. And on some platforms, you know, your platform, 100% of those deals are including some aspect of this, right? It's it's either community building, it's either a, 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 or it's a BIPOC entrepreneur, a woman entrepreneur, or a social enterprise. Every deal on your platform fits into one of these categories that I get excited about. Um, but on all the major, you know, the, the big platforms that are that are dealing with hundreds of deals at a time, you scroll through them and somewhere between 10, 20, 30 percent of their deals fall into this bucket. And it is exciting for me to see that, in fact, what I believed about crowdfunding, having a natural uh, ability to help solve these problems uh, is, is bearing out. Think about the fact that it is getting a little bit harder, it seems, for really um, the types of businesses that maybe need capital the most that maybe are not looking to raise, you know, a million dollars. Maybe they really only need like 50,000 um, and they don't have a lot of money to pay for upfront costs. And it seems like some of the platforms are starting to not want to even include those deals anymore because they can't make any money on them. Like, what are you seeing in terms of how crowdfunding can help those business owners that are, you know, the small mom and pop type um, businesses that really have the most limited access to resources and ability to pay for, you know, lawyers and accountants and all of that? Yeah, I think, you know, you hit on a key point. And uh, obviously, your platform is among the very best and most welcoming at crowdfundmainstreet.com, in case anybody didn't know that. But it's, uh, you know, you, you do that so fabulously well uh, that I, I have to call, you, call out your effort on that. I have seen that at least some of the other platforms uh, are also uh, somewhat welcoming. WeFunder does a pretty good job. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, deals on their platform that are raising, you know, six-figure amounts. That's their goal. Um, I don't know that I see a lot of five-figure goals on their platform, but a lot of six-figure, including some low six-figure deals. And uh, that's critically important that that, that be set up. I, I think there is some magic 
in staying under, I think, 107,000. I think, Jenny and Michelle, you can confirm that's the number, but under 107,000, I think you avoid any external accounting advice. You can rely entirely on what you present as an entrepreneur. That eliminates a very significant upfront cost uh, and reduces, I think, and simplifies some of the uh, legal costs. Um, so I think there is a, a magic number there. And so using a platform like yours is, I think, uh, essential. Uh, I, I do think there is still uh, a mistaken notion with crowdfunding that the work ends in a crowdfunding campaign when you put your deal on the platform and that at that point you are um, passing over responsibility to the platform for raising money and I, i'm sure every platform tries in 13 different ways to explain that's not how it works but i think it's important to reiterate that in every conversation about crowdfunding this is about bringing your network to the table in a legal, organized, structured way. This isn't about accessing a magic well of money from a mysterious crowd, right? That Sasquatch, right? He kind of doesn't exist. The reality is the vast majority of the money is going to come from people you know. Many of them are people you know on a first name basis. And it's awkward. It's difficult sometimes to begin that exercise of saying to people, my dear friend, my dad, my father, my brother, my son, can you give me, could you invest in my deal? Uh, despite the fact that it has some risks, here's the structure, here are the deal terms, would you invest? And, and that is a little bit hard, but no one else is going to ask, you know, go out and make those asks for you. And, and uh, Jenny, Michelle, I think you'd agree that's the experience you see. I would 100% agree with you and so glad to have you make that point. We do find that it is a myth that many entrepreneurs um, eagerly look to fall into because it, it would be, of course, wonderful if you didn't have to do any work besides putting the, the campaign up on the platform. But if you think about it, it actually makes sense that that is the case because crowdfunding at its core is really about sort of social proof right mm -hmm. so if your own network and even if, if even if you have a limited network in terms of their their ability to invest large sums of money you still know people and you still know people who know people and you still have the ability to rally the troops in terms of this is a great thing that my friend so-and-so is doing and that's really what people who don't know you who are looking at you know sort of the armchair investors who are looking at crowdfunding campaigns for deal flow is they are looking for evidence of the fact that there is this social proof that your people your community is supporting you at least to the extent that they can and yes maybe other people who don't know you will come in but they certainly will not lead so you're absolutely right that that really is um, all about the beginning we like to tell people all the time don't rush to get up on the platform because one of the worst things that can happen to you is that you scramble to 
um, maybe there's a launch event or something that you want to be up for. So you throw together a campaign and then only after the campaign is live, do you start to do the work to begin to think about how you might market the campaign. And that is an absolutely nearly always fatal mistake. <laughs> so yeah. um, 100% agree with you. I do want to touch a little bit on uh, go back to your your point about the threshold of, of accounting. Mm -hmm. And you're right that at $107,000 or less, unless you raise before August 28th, 2022, if you go live with a campaign prior to August 28th, 2022, you can take advantage of a little bump up in that based on the pandemic, that amount is $250,000. So you could raise up to $250,000 with just certified financials um, by an officer in your company, uh, as long as you launch before August 28th, 2022. Otherwise, it goes back to the $107,000 the thing oh, I'll mention crazy. about that component, um, it is a lot less cumbersome and burdensome to do certified financials than reviewed financials, which is the next level of required financials. But they do have to be in gap form. And most businesses don't do their books in a fashion that is gap compliant. There really isn't any sort of compelling need to do that. So we do find that even at the um, at the certified financial level that you might need either an in-house accountant, um, you don't have to hire an independent accountant, but we're finding there is a little bit of a, mm. some work that, that needs to be done there, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you, that's, that's a, a painful reality. I, I sometimes ignore that issue because I, uh, I'm an old finance guy, and so I think everybody knows that stuff. Uh, but of course, they don't, and they shouldn't. And I, I'm glad they don't. You know, if I think about it for a half a second. But yeah, I can see that's a challenge for entrepreneurs uh, that I that I sometimes uh, ignore. But still, much easier to get that certified uh, set of books sure. than to get, pay for a review. A review can be. Um, you know, it's usually about half the cost of an audit, and, and that varies dramatically around the country. I know. I, I think in New York, uh, an audit, you know, the smallest audit, like twenty-five grand. Well, in Utah, where I did a lot of my career, uh, you know, it's probably five grand for the smallest audit. Mm -hmm. So it's you know twenty percent of what it is in New York, uh, vastly different. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you've been active on the what's cool about your work. I know you've you've extended your work into also it, trying to advance the education and information on the investor side of the equation, helping retail investors and impact minded folks um, in using investment crowdfunding deal flow as a means of sort of vetting offerings, getting used to this process of due diligence that you have to do when you're taking ownership of your directing your investments. What are your um, what are you finding in terms of how that piece is going? I know that I was kind of caught off guard 
very naively thought that once we had the tool finally in 2016, that, oh my gosh, that we're home, like we've got this, we have a tool, let's go, we'll hit the ground yeah. running and we'll solve all the world's problems. And, and, and then the reality sets in that, you know, we've boxed people out, average everyday people, retail investors, we've boxed them out of direct investing for, you know, generations. So it, it is logical and understandable that people have a lack of information and knowledge about what it might look like to invest. So I'm just wondering what you're seeing on the on the investor side of the equation. Now, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, you know, the SEC guided us for 90 years to think of uh, investing directly in startups or small businesses as too risky for us if we're not rich. And that message really took hold. Um, and, you know, these are risky investments uh, and, I'll, you know, there are some impact deals that truly have market return potential or better, right? They're just phenomenal opportunities, but not all of them. Some have, uh, you know, a higher risk and lower return prospect that, uh, and so we're figuring out how to do that at the same time, you're just beginning to think about could I make investments? It's it's really challenging. So, you know, uh, you and I both have groups uh, that we uh, cultivate of of investors, and uh, you know, it's a small group, and 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 the the challenge is trying to get them to invest their first hundred dollars, their second hundred dollars, and I, I find that um, I think once you make that first investment. The second investment is easier. The third is really easy, but it's scary. Uh, and there are a lot of good reasons for it to be scary. And so, uh, you know, joining with a group like yours or mine to, to have a little bit of comfort, I think is great. One of the reasons I created the, the little group I did was because I knew that despite my uh, alleged self-proclaimed expertise, as a former investment banker, avid investor, someone who spends money every day thinking about markets and all these issues. I, I wanted the wisdom of smart people around me, not necessarily smart finance people. I just wanted smart people. And, and it is so true in our little group, we, we do you know a little bit of due diligence on a few deals every month. And then we decide whether to invest in the companies we do diligence on and, and um, it, it's amazing how once you spend a little bit of time, put a little distance between you that very you are able to see what are the flaws and risks in this deal. I, I, I tend to fall in love with every deal at first. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit gullible. I'm very excitable, very excited about the projects that I see people working on. And so it's good to have a little group of people around me now start to say, well, yeah, but this one has this flaw and this one has this flaw. And then we start, oh yeah, that's true. And, but then we pick deals to invest in and it is just fun. It's fun to do that as a group uh, and making this a regular thing to do. Um, you know, I, I'm not putting a lot of money into these deals. I'm not rich. I'm certainly not rich, but you know, my plan is over the next 10 years or so by 2032 to have a $10,000 cumulative investment in these kinds of deals. I'm hoping it's a hundred deals uh, and that that 
a little bit of money. I'm hoping that by the end of 10 years, I'm already seeing some of that money coming back and that I'm able to reinvest, therefore, per, you know, perpetually maintain uh, that portfolio without putting new capital into it. Uh, anyway, it, it's, it is really just a fun hobby. And if people start thinking about it, at least as a hobby, uh, before they become, you know, big scale investors, they're so much we can learn together and along the way help so many people do so much good yes i just love that you're helping people do that and uh we'll share a link to we always share a link to our little angel group um but we'll share a link to yours as well if it, uh, hopefully we can get that into the show notes um so um we would love, you know, we want to kind of start to wrap up, but I, one thing I would love to know is, you know, it's always great to hear concrete examples. So do you want to share a couple of examples of crowdfunding campaigns you've been involved with, like maybe one that didn't work out and why you think it didn't, and then one that was outrageously successful and why you think it was outrageously successful? Um. Let me start with uh, the outrageously successful. Uh, I invested uh, last fall, I think, or maybe January in, I think it was last fall, in uh, a company that is like super uh, excited about, you know, climate change and the environment. And uh, it's called Arclight. Uh, and these guys are just going to town. They are just, they're hitting their numbers, uh, but they make, uh, they, they take plastic waste and make gravel out of it for a variety of reasons, including like uh, making concrete and asphalt. Uh, so it's something that can scale to be just huge and help us put to use some of this waste plastic, some of which, some waste plastics are really hard to use. They're low quality and they don't, they don't, fit the model of traditional recycling. And so they're, they're doing a great job. I'm excited about them. But, but one of the things, and I'll just highlight what I think really makes them work is, boy, these guys are going after it, right? They are working so hard and they, they're working with courage, right? So they're, 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 they're striking big deals with big companies as a tiny little startup that you know, got their money uh, on, through crowdfunding. It's just really exciting. They, they're just stepping into... The space. So I think that's one that is really uh, working well um, that I put in my portfolio. Uh, none of the ones that I've actually invested in uh, have bombed yet, but the but I I am seeing some that I didn't invest in or tried to invest in that that are failing. And what I see there, almost always. Uh, I can attribute the failure to a lack of effort on the funding, right? It's from the, the founders who appear to me, and it, it's a little bit unfair from the outside because I'm not in the room seeing what they're doing and how much work is going on, but it looks to me like, uh, you know, they haven't updated any information on the, the platform. Uh, they haven't raised a lot of money uh, compared to their goals. Uh, they haven't done a variety of little things that would suggest they have taken it seriously. And so sometimes they don't meet their minimum goal. And without meeting a minimum goal on most platforms, you don't get any of the money. And so the, the investors get a, a message that says, 
thanks for putting the money in. We'll credit your account with that. Tell us where you want to stick it. But you didn't get shares in XYZ because they didn't meet their minimum funding goal. And, and so that's the biggest problem I see with deals is just not doing the work required to hit the goal. Yeah, that's what we're seeing too. <laughs> so tell us about your upcoming event and how people can find out more about it. This, this, this event is going to be amazing. I got to tell you about a couple of the speakers because they're just fantastic. But there's a, a woman named uh, Jenny Casson who is truly one of the smartest people I know. She's Yale educated and she's been doing work in the crowdfunding space since before it was crowdfunding. Absolutely uh, a, a rock star in the space. She's going to be speaking at the conference. She is going to be there. And then her partner, Michelle Timish, who is equally smart based on the other coast, uh, doing all kinds of social good projects in Baltimore, as well as leading, running as the CEO of uh, Crowdfund Matrix. She is going to be on the program as well, um, along with about 30 other people, uh, in, including, uh, golly, uh, just, just amazing people. So like the chairman of the CFPA, Scott McIntyre, the president of the Crowdfund Professional Association, Samson Wilson, Williams, excuse me, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, dozens of amazing speakers, uh, none better than Michelle and, and Jenny, who will both be there, but it's, it's, uh -oh, a, that's a lot and, of pressure. <laughs> it's a, it's going to be a great conference. I, we are hoping, my goal is to organize a hundred different speakers, panelists, workshop coordinators. I mean, this is going to be such a treasure of information and, uh, we will make, uh, we're going to try to record every session so that uh, people who uh, pay for the privilege of attending can watch. It's a virtual conference. So you'd be able to watch it, uh, the things you miss, because uh, you've got to you know, uh, take the kids to soccer practice or whatever. Whatever you may miss, you'll be able to make up, uh, or if you're just in a different session and there's, we'll have some concurrent sessions going on. One of the highlights of the conference will be, uh, we'll have 10 companies pitch, uh, live. So if you're if they've got a deal on a live crowdfunding site somewhere, we'll have them pitch at the event. So people can at that time, if they want, they can go and, and invest right there, right then during the conference in these companies that are pitching. Uh, I already have companies reaching out, applying for that. <laughs> We're not even we haven't even set up our application process yet, but uh, it's exciting to see the interest already starting to build for that. Um, it is going to be an amazing, amazing conference. And because Jenny and Michelle through Crowdfund Main Street are co-hosts, I'm excited. They, they, they're helping. And so they have uh, worked out a deal uh, with me as the, the, the host to uh, give a discount to people in their community. So that discount is 50% off. So the regular price is $199. So if you uh, register, through uh, the crowdfund Main Street secret password, which is the, the discount code is Main Street. Uh, you use that discount, you'll get 50% off. To remember that, uh, just go to uh, supercrowd22.com slash Main Street, supercrowd22.com slash Main Street. Register there, uh, half off. And 
you'll have an opportunity to hear uh, great wisdom from Jenny and Michelle and many of their expert friends and, and peers in the industry. This is going to be really a, a phenomenal event. And I'm sorry for blabbing on so much, but Jenny and Michelle, you guys are going to make this a great event. Thank you. Yes, we are super excited and we will put that link in the show notes. Uh, I think it is going to be a phenomenal event. The speakers are amazing. And Devin, you really, it's so wonderful to talk to you. You're, you're such a leader in this space and, and so thoughtful about what's happening, how to actually make it successful. You've been involved in so many different ways. So we so appreciate you joining us for the Capital Insight Podcast. And we look forward to seeing you at SuperCrowd22. Thank you so much for including me. Do you have any questions for our securities lawyers and capital raising experts? Call the podcast hotline and leave us a message at 866-552-7726, extension 5. You can also send other inquiries to podcast at jennycasson.com. We'd love to hear from you. Music for the Capital Insight podcast is still searching by Damon Criswell via Audio Hero. Thank you for listening to Capital Insight with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish. Until next time.